This is another sports podcast. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another day of sports podcast. I am Drew Torres here with buddy Mike Gilchrist. And Mike, I know we have a lot to talk about today. Tom Brady's retirement championship weekend, all of the head coaching searches. But I want to focus on one specific search just for one second. Just give me the floor if that's okay. Go ahead. All right. I am 100% done with Shad Khan. I am done with the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I am so pissed at how the Jaguars have dealt with this coaching search. I just don't understand what his fascination is with Trent Baalke. This team has made the playoffs two years since 2007. Two freaking seasons. Okay, I am sick of this guy thinking that he knows what the hell he's doing when it comes to running a professional football team. Every other year other than those two years, we haven't even been in playoff contention after week 10. Like, it's ridiculous how bad this organization has been. We are the laughingstock of the league. We are one of the few teams remaining in the head coaching search that doesn't even have, like, a prospect and uh, just someone that people think that they're going to go with. We thought that it was going to be Byron Leftwich. But no, of course, he comes in saying that he doesn't want to work with the current GM. And for some reason, Shad Khan chooses the current GM over the prospective head coach. So I am fired up today, Mike. And I'm sorry that I took over the beginning of this podcast with a rant. You know, it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating when you have a, a person who's bad at their job, clearly bad at their job. People don't like him. And the owner's standing by this guy for whatever reason. I don't know. I think it, I, I don't know if he pays him under the table or does him some special favors, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just I had to say, like, throughout all of these years, I have thrown my life at this team for some odd reason. Like, everybody that knows me, the first thing they think about when they think about Drew Torres is, oh, he's a Jaguars fan. That was always my icebreaker growing up when it came to new classes and meeting new people. Yeah. Like, it's, it's one of the biggest parts of my life. And I have wasted hours and days rooting for this team and watching them suck on the football field. And I feel like a dope. I feel like an idiot. I feel like if you were to fill out one of those things that said, tell two truths and a lie, you could put, is a Jags fan? And everyone would assume that's the lie. Because why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> I just love self-inflicting pain. So this is another day of sports podcast. It's going to be hopefully mostly positive going forward. I just had to get that off my chest. Yes. So I'm glad you did because the Jaguars coaching uh, job is one of the, uh, I think five coaching positions that's still left to be filled. Uh, I think there were nine teams that need to fill uh, a spot. And so far uh, the Chicago bears, the Denver Broncos, the New York giants um, have filled their spots. Is there another one? I'm forgetting and the Raiders like, officially filled the Raiders their hired Josh McDaniels. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, Nine head coaching vacancies, all four have been filled. Um, I think uh, what we're going to do on this podcast, this episode, is we're obviously going to talk about the championship games, which, by the way, I can't believe how great these NFL playoffs have been. Like, name the last blowout football game. It was probably week 18 when no one gave a shit because some teams were out of the playoffs. Well, it was, it was the first week of the playoffs. That was the last time blowouts happened, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, well, because the Rams kind of beat up on the Cardinals. And the Bucks beat up, beat up the Eagles for the most part. Yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah, so back in – but, I mean, you know, the divisional round was a spectacular weekend. No one thought we were going to get any better football than that. And then both championship games came down to the last 
quarter in the last minutes. It was fantastic football. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to dive into this big story that the greatest quarterback of all time has officially walking away from the game. Uh, there's a big news today with Brian Flores in a lawsuit against the NFL and three NFL teams. And of course, we'll talk about more about the Jaguars uh, and the New York Giants hired their uh, new GM and new head coach over the span of the last couple of weeks. And of course the Giants are involved in this lawsuit with Brian Flores. So we're going to talk about all this today. Drew, let's um, let's start with the big news of the day, which was the Brian Flores uh, lawsuit that came out. So Brian Flores was fired from Miami a few weeks ago. Everybody was shocked that he was fired to begin with from Miami. And um, he was on the list of everybody's head coaching candidates to be looked at for all these vacancies. And um, I know he was a candidate for the Giants, and I know that he uh, it was going to be interviewing with the Saints, and uh, and I believe he was going to interview with the Houston Texans as well, and he was projectably one of the top candidates for all three of those jobs. But unfortunately, he didn't get the Giants job. It went to Brian Dable. And um, the most interesting thing about that scenario was that he got a text from Bill Belichick thinking that he was – Bill Belichick, I think he was texting Brian Dable, congratulations, I hear from the Bills and from the Giants that you're the Giants guy, congratulations. And it, this was three days before Flores was supposed to be interviewed, supposedly. This is what is being reported. Um, and uh, so that's kind of strange that he had to go through an interview when they apparently had already decided to have Brian Dable as the coach. Um, he also is filing – so he's filing a lawsuit against the Giants for having kind of a meaningless interview. Uh, just to have, uh, just to follow the compliance of the Rooney rule, which for those of you who don't know, the Rooney rule is in place so that you have to interview at least one outside minority candidate when you're filling a vacancy, not just for the head coach, but for a lot of positions within the organization. Um, he's filing a lawsuit against the Denver Broncos because apparently when he interviewed with them years ago, uh, John Elway and some of the other Denver executives showed up late. Um, and apparently John Elway was hung over. Don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, that's pretty despicable. And then apparently they had already decided who they were going to hire as well. So it was another sham interview. And this is the weirdest claim is that the owner of the Dolphins offered Brian Flores $100,000 for every loss of the season. Lose every time you lose a game, you're going to hundred grand. And he got pissed every time the Dolphins won because he wanted to tank. He wanted to tank so they get a better draft pick. What year was that? This year. What the hell? It was either this year or last year, but I, it's it, 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 so three big claims against the NFL. He's suing the NFL in general for hiring practices, um, saying that teams aren't really f- complying with the Rooney rule or they're just, you know, not giving people an actual chance. They're just going through the motions of doing the interview. So these are big claims. What did you think when you first saw these reports? Um, well, I think obviously with the Rooney rule, it comes with a lot of uh, speculation on, not even just with the NFL, but with a lot of affirmative action initiatives out there and everything. Sometimes when you do incorporate these rules and institute these rules, um, this is going to happen. You know, they're, they're going to bring in minority candidates, even though they already have their mind made up for someone else, just because they need to follow the rules. Uh, it, it, it's just the world we're in, unfortunately. Um, Obviously, the instances that you mentioned about Bill Belichick already texting Brian Dable and the John Elway situation, that's, those are obviously not in good practice, especially the John Elway thing coming in hungover. I mean, just to blatantly blow the interview off like it's something that is completely wasting your time is, and isn't important to you. That's just, it's just terrible professionalism. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll see if anything does happen with that. But I honestly, I, I wouldn't even 
be shocked if it's true that these teams were basically just using him as a, a minority fill-in to meet the rule. Um, but what sucks is it's really tough when we just know how good of a candidate Brian Flores actually is. Yeah. Like it's obvious that these teams didn't really do the due diligence and the research that they should have to see that, wow, Brian Flores is actually a really good candidate. Like we, we should interview this guy for real and take it seriously. Um, so I can totally understand his grievances. It is a screwed up system. I, like I, I've heard you say before, 70% of the NFL is made up of African-American men, which would then in turn think, would open up opportunities for more African-American men in the coaching circles, which they're, it's getting better, obviously, but it's not anywhere where it should be with Mike Tomlin currently being the only uh, African-American head coach currently in the NFL and being mm-hmm. one of the best. And never had a losing season. Yes. No, it still has not so far. Um, so it, a lot of this stuff will need to be worked out in court or whatever processes that is going to be worked out. But from the sounds of it, if Brian Flores is right about what he's talking about, it's pretty screwed up. Yeah. And just a correction, uh, the text from uh, Bill Belichick to Flores, he thought he was texting Brian Dable, but he accidentally was texting Brian Flores. So that was kind of the thing where he's like, Hey, I hear you're New York's guy. And he's like, great. I hope that's the case. Cause this is the job I want. That head of it's so awkward. And he's like, you, Hey coach, you're, 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 you're texting you know you're texting Flor- Brian Flores, right? Not Brian Dable on Bill Belichick. Was like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, like what do you say from there? Like, oh, uh, my bad. <laughs> now I, I've talked to a few people about this, and I, I one person I talked to was saying, "Are you just being a, a, a Giants fan here and trying to defend the Giants?" And I said, "No, objectively, I'm, I, I have serious questions about this. So if the if the accusation is that the Giants were just using uh, Flores as the token black man to interview for to follow the Rooney Rule, then why did they interview Leslie Frazier?" and uh, Patrick Graham as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they were hiring their GM, they interviewed nine people and they po- and the Giants on their Instagram page, you can go look it up. Every single time they interviewed someone and, and they dated it, it's like completed interview with so-and-so and it had their picture up. And they interviewed nine guys for the GM job. Of the nine, four were of a minority, right? And then for head coach, they interviewed, I think, five people. They interviewed Brian Dayball, Leslie Frazier, some guy who I didn't even care to know because I knew he wasn't going to get a job. <laughs> uh, they interviewed Brian Flores and they interviewed Patrick Graham, who's the defensive coordinator currently with the New York Giants. But to follow the Rooney rule, they have to uh, look at one external candidate. So Patrick Graham actually wouldn't count, even though he's black, he wouldn't count under the Rooney rule because it has to be someone outside the organization. So they interviewed two people for that. And they gave Leslie Frazier two interviews. Now, according to the reports, Flores' interview was three days after he got this text from Bill Belichick saying that Brian Dayball's the guy. But Leslie Frazier's first interview was long before this, uh, was like a, a, maybe a couple of days before this, because um, both Frazier and Dable were interviewed on the same day for their first interviews, and they both got second interviews. And I'm not surprised that those two guys in particular were interviewed because they did hire Joe Shane as GM from Buffalo. So, of course, he was going to look at the two Buffalo guys. And here's the thing. I don't think it's racist for the New York Giants to say when they hired Joe Shane, we really like Brian Dable. He's the guy we're most interested in looking at. But they did do their due diligence to at least interview these other people. It's not like they just hired Brian Dable and that's it. They still took the time to research. But it, it's not like they were looking at Brian Dable because he was a white man. They liked how he ran the offense in Buffalo. They liked what he did with Josh Allen. And they're, in the Giants' mind, hoping he can do that with Daniel Jones. So I don't see that as a race thing. But at the same time, there has to be it has to be looked at. I think that Brian Flores' lawsuit is not a bad thing because I think it's going to 
address the NFL hiring practices in general? Because it's very easy to get around the, the Rooney rule. I mean, isn't it? I mean, you can just easily just bring somebody in and have on paper, okay, we interviewed a person of minority. You didn't say we have to hire them. Right. So, you know, I, and again, are we looking at, I don't know, because I'm not in the NFL. I don't know what Brian Flores has gone through in terms of like being in those rooms, in those interviews around the NFL. Because I've never been in the NFL. You and I are not like, we're not an entity of a show where we have reporters who are down at these facilities talking to these people and telling us information and we're repeating it back here on the show. We're just guys who watch from afar. So we're not in this universe of being around the NFL and being around these executives, these people within these organizations. We don't know what's in their minds and their hearts in terms of race. But I also, and I also don't know what Brian Flores' experience um, in terms of being around that atmosphere and how he feels he's treated compared to other white coaches in the league. So his experiences in like the Denver interview, the interview with the Giants, whether or not there were racial prejudices, I don't know. And I'm not going to speak to that because I, I just truly don't know. But I think that if there is anything that's here, I mean, like we talked about 70% of the players are black, but only one head coach is black. Whereas in the NBA, you have about a 50-50 split of white coaches and black coaches. I think that it's, it's fine for this to be explored. And if the Denver story is true, if the Miami story is true, and even if the, and if the Giants story is true, that why would you hold an interview for a guy when you've already decided on someone else? That's just shitty practice. Yeah. So I think all these things need to be addressed. No, he's kind of screwed him. He screwed himself for any of the head coaching candidacy. Now he's not going to get the jobs at new Orleans or Houston after this. I don't think. Yeah. And you would think if you're Brian Flores though, you're kind of fine with taking a year off. I think and just kind of sitting back, seeing how this all plays out, obviously with the NFL and just getting through this and then coming in for the head coaching search next year, there's going to be more openings. There's going to be more opportunities for him. I'm sure he's not too worried about it. And uh, I think the further, he's uh, disconnected from the situation that he went through in Miami. Um, I think the, the farther away he is from that, uh, the better for him as well in finding a, a new opportunity with the organization that's going to be fully for him and fully work with him. Uh, because you know how the news cycle is tomorrow. People are going to be talking about something completely different and then it's just going to, it's all going to cycle through. And by the time he comes around as a new head coaching candidate, it's going to be a completely different world. Yeah. At the same time, you know, this is one of those stories that, you know, it, look at the Colin Kaepernick story. Colin Kaepernick was a useless quarterback who had been benched yeah. and then took a knee and people are still talking about it and still arguing about it. Whereas That's this true. Is something, this is something that might be continually talked about and argued because people have been talking about this coaching, uh, these coaching higher practices in the NFL for mm -hmm. years. But you know, I, and, I don't think there's going to be as much negative response to this as obviously there was with the Colin Kaepernick thing, because it's true. I mean, if you, if you just look at the numbers, it doesn't fully make sense. And I know there's going to be people out there. I mean, they, what about just looking at the best person for the job? Yeah. Well, the, that my argument against that in this case is that I don't know if the pool of the people that they're looking at is big enough and broad right. enough and diverse enough. Um, so We'll see what happens with this, but I think it's going to be an interesting turn of events for Brian Flores, who we thought after being let go by Miami was a sure candidate to take over any of these uh, open head coaching vacancies. But like you said, it doesn't look like it's going to be anymore. Yeah. I mean, my initial reaction to this was, oh man, he doesn't get the jobs. Now he's crying racism. But <laughs> I did. I, I, that was when I first heard the story and I was like, oh, come on. And then I looked at some of the stories, like the Denver story, the Miami story. I was like, oh, well, yeah, I don't know if necessarily this is racist. This is pretty shitty behavior. But <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so again, again, we have to let the facts come out. I, I think um, 
perfectly fine to let this all be investigated because if it is, um, if the NFL is actively colluding to keep uh, minority um, people to not be head coaches in this league, that's completely wrong. I mean, I, I reason I hate stories like this is because I just want to get to a point where we don't have to think about race. I don't want to, I don't want us to have to have college applications where you have to check what ratio I'm like, to me, it's like, why does it matter? But I'm a white guy. So it's easy for me to say that. Um, and, and I just want us to get to a point where we don't think about race and it's just, who's the best candidate for the job. But we're just, the reality is we're not there yet as a society. So this is what we have to go through and we have to deal with. And uh, whatever the means are that they have to do, they have to do it. But I mean, is there a way to, you can't really force people to hire people. Right. Or like, I, I remember hearing them complain that there aren't enough black owners in the league was like, well, what do you, what can you do? Are you going to force somebody to sell their team and, and then say only a black person can buy the team? That seems kind of reverse racism, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's not really the way to fix this. I think it's more, um, I think for all those years that the fact that the NFL was dominated by white coaches and was, is because the overall um, culture of coaching in general for all those years was I imagine all of the white coaches gravitated towards white assistant coaches and their circle was filled with, it's a very close knit relationship based business. Mm -hmm. And it, for all of those decades, it was just cycling white coach after white coach after white coach. None of them would really, whether it was racism or it was just what they were comfortable with and who they're comfortable with working with. They they just never really welcomed these African-American coaches into their circles as much. And I think it's starting to open up a lot more over these past couple decades. And I think it's just, we need more and more of these very uh, talented up and coming coaches to come through the ranks. And I think they will. And I I think it will fix itself in the long run. It's just right now we're, we're, we're not there yet. Well, we'll see what happens. So like I said, there are nine coaching vacancies um, to start off this off season and four spots have been filled. They're all by filled by white guys. So We'll see what happens to the, the, these other five opportunities. Um, one African-American head coach hired. Oh, my God. I hate the Jaguars so much. <laughs> uh, they should hire Flores. Yeah. <laughs> <Why> <laughs> right, sure. Whatever. Um, the, so I, what I hate about this also is that the, um, you know, the Giants hired Brian Dayball from the Buffalo Bills. Um, the Giants have been poaching basically the whole Buffalo Bills front office. They took Joe Shane, and now they took Dayball. And Dayball brought the offensive line coach from Buffalo to join the staff. And there was rumors that Ken Dorsey was also going to join the Giants, but he is officially named the new offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, which Josh Allen's happy about because he said, if Dable leaves, I want Ken Dorsey to be the new offensive coordinator. And believe me, you want to keep your uh, star quarterback happy. <laughs> um, oh, and, and if you're Ken Dorsey, who would you rather choose right now? A quarterback that you know and a quarterback you know is going to be dominant for years to come or right. a project? Right. You know, I'd, I'd rather stick with Buffalo sure. if I was him. Sure. But I, I, I will say for Brian Dable, I, I – I was between Flores and Dable. I kind of was leaning more towards Flores at first because um, he had head coaching experience. And we had just had two coaches really that didn't have any head coaching. The last three coaches really have any head coaching experience. I think Pat Sherman did years and years ago, but he was very fresh um, for his new head coaching position when he got the Giants job. Um, so I, I was just, I wanted someone with experience. And, and Flores was a guy that everybody was so shocked that got fired that I was like, well, let's bring him into the New York Giants. He was a, a fan of the Giants. He's from the area. Like, I think he might be the perfect guy. What I did think that was better for Dayball was that he is more in tune with Joe Shane and the Giants have been lacking that relationship between GM and coach to be together. Um, and I think that's what the Giants were targeting when they did hire Joe Shane. Um, and also the Giants struggles have been on offense the last few years. 
And so we needed more of an offensive mind. So I think Dable was the right hire. Um, I really liked him in his uh, interviews that he's done so far with like the Michael K show and some other radio shows on New York. Um, he was been on, I think he was on NFL game day and he had a good interview there. And I liked his press conference. Now, some things he says is coach talk, like we need to build the culture. We need to do this, but just the way that he would answer questions when a reporter would say, I'm so-and-so from this network. And he would just repeat their name and say, Hey, how are you doing? Or uh, he just had a, a little bit of a sense of humor to him. And I liked that they kept pestering him about Daniel Jones and, and he, trying to trap him and make predictions. And he just said, look, I'm not making any predictions. We're just going to do the, you know, day by day, do the best job that we can. Because what else can he say? Because if he goes, oh, we're going to make Daniel Jones into Josh Allen, that's going to be the headline news. And then if it doesn't happen, it's like he's throwing himself out there. Yeah. You know, so I, I just liked how he carried himself. I, I'm sick that he has this stain on him now that like, oh, you know, he's in this controversy of Brian, the Brian Flores stuff. Because now the fans out there, because there were a lot of Giants fans that wanted Brian Flores as the coach. are going to be like, ah, see, the Giants didn't even try to give Brian Flores a shot. So we're stuck with Dable. And if and things don't go well, it's going to see – we should have given it to Flores, you know. <laughs> so, Winning cures all, my friend. If he can just win, then who cares, right? It'll all just be swept under the rug. Well, look, the Giants haven't been winning in the last <laughs> ten years, so <laughs> it's been it's been uh, it's been rough going. But I, I like, you know, I like uh, Joe Shane. I like Brian Dable. I'm interested to see who gets hired as the offensive coordinator. I'm interested to see if we keep Patrick Graham at defensive coordinator. They have said that if he does not get the head coaching job in Minnesota, that. Uh, He'll stay as the defensive coordinator for the New York Giants. Um, although I think the Vikings should hire Patrick Graham now and be like, oh, look, we're a good, we're a nice organization. We hired the black guy. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. That's, no, that's, that's honestly, true. who knows? So someone, <laughs> one of these organizations might think that just to get out of the crosshairs, you know? Yeah, maybe. But no, no I, I um, so I'm interested who gets hired on the staff. If Patrick Graham's gone, who's he going to bring in? Uh, the rumors he'll bring in the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator because I guess he has a past relationship there. But, you know, even though he's a new head coach, he has 20 years of experience. He started off as a defensive coach in New England, and then he's morphed into an offensive coach. He's worked with Brett Favre and Chad Pennington, Tom Brady, uh, Josh Allen, and he's also uh, won a national championship at Alabama. He's been a part of five Super Bowl teams with the Patriots. So I like this hire a lot. I think he has, as a new head coach, he has a lot of experience and just his whole approach of like building a relationship with the players and getting to know them as people and then going out on the field, I think is going to help the players buy into him. Uh, unlike they were unable to buy into Joe judge who they absolutely hated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It, it's so much better. I think going forward to be that player's coach, you know, it, it's the generation that's coming up that they it's just not as easy to follow an authoritarian figure like Bill Belichick anymore for these guys. Right. Um, I'm not saying it's never going to work again once Bill Belichick is gone. And, and I'm sure there will be others that will try it. It might be a little successful, but it just seems like the guys that are able to win over the locker room and uh, kind of just not be like buddies with the guys, but at least have a positive atmosphere where everybody's having fun. Everybody's enjoying being with each other and everybody's enjoying being in the building every day. You, you kind of got that sense when the Rams won, you know, and Sean McVay what was yelling about the players. He was all about the players. He was yelling into the microphone about everybody, give it up for the players. And it was like, you could feel even afterwards during his press conference, he, uh, I guess the music was blaring behind him from the locker room and you could, you could hear the thumping of the bass from the music. He's like, damn, I want to get in there and celebrate with the guys. Like he said that uh, in the middle of his press conference, like that type of atmosphere has to make it so much easier to be successful. He runs into the end zone when they score. 
<laughs> yeah, he seems like an awesome guy to play for. We'll talk about the Rams win in a second, but um, yeah, I, I'm happy for you guys. I hope Dayball work for, works out for you guys. It just seems like the last few candidates you guys have had have been pretty dry dudes. So it sounds yeah. like it sounds like Dayball gives you a little breath of fresh air. And I used to work with a guy who's who was a childhood friend of Dayball's and still friends with him to this day. And I texted him. I said, "Dude, I think your boy's gonna get my my team's head coaching position." And he's like, yeah, it looks good, right? I'm like, yeah. oh, this is awesome. You better get yourself uh, some tickets, fun. dude. I, I, I love how one um, radio show that I heard, I was listening to a bunch of interviews with Dayball, and one radio show had the balls to ask him, like, say, hey, you grew up a Bills fan, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I did. So you were, was it hard to leave Buffalo being there? And he's like, well, you know, after you've been in this business for a while, you know that you have to move around. And I was cherishing my time. And they're like, well, let me ask you this. Were you upset about the Giants wide right? Because... <laughs> 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 and he's just like, oh, look, you know, those games, you know, big games happen. You know, it's uh, I'm a professional now. I don't really think about things like that. And it's like, ooh, salty question to ask him. <laughs> now he's the dead <laughs> Giants head coach, grew up a Bills fan, to ask him about that moment in particular. Anyway, someone had to ask him if he was a Bills fan. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so your head coaching position is still open, as we talked about. Your everyone hates your GM. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, if uh, anybody do listening, you, do you think okay. there is any? any chance that your owner is pressured to fire the GM at this point? If no one wants to be your fill the head coaching job, like <laughs> if he loves Trent Baki this much, they'll find someone who's willing to work with them. Like, like, and that's the unfortunate thing. They're, they're really limiting the options that they're going to have because of this dude. And it's like, why like Byron Leftwich was a home run for every, everybody, everybody's mind. Even Shad mm-hmm. Khan probably thought the same thing. But just because Byron Leftwich didn't want to work with this guy, they just threw that home run away. And now we're going to end up hiring probably Daryl Bevel again, the guy, right. <laughs> the guy who was our interim head coach after Urban Meyer was fired. Um, I know that they're uh, the possible candidates. They just interviewed Rich Bisaccia today, who, I, I mean, I liked him. He, he seemed cool in, in uh, Las Vegas. It's completely out of left field because, I mean, nobody really expected it. Um, he's a special teams guy, you know, not, not the ideal candidate when you have a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Um, I know that they really like the Rams offensive coordinator who now, since the Rams are in the Super Bowl, uh, they have to wait uh, another two weeks to even be able to hire or uh, interview him. Kevin O'Connell, I believe his name is. So it's uh, it's a mess. It's everybody thought it was reported that Byron Leftwich was going to be the coach. And we were going to bring in Adrian Wilson a uh, former Cardinals player uh, in as the GM, but uh, turns out that wasn't the case. And here we are. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's tough and it, it's, it's unfortunate. And nothing can ever be easy with this dumpster fire of a team. Well, it's, it, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like free agents in the NBA, not one. You would think that free agents would want to go play for the New York Knicks, play in Madison Square Garden, basketball's most famous arena. But no one wanted to play for James Dolan. Everyone hated the owner of the Knicks. Like no one wanted to be in that atmosphere. And that's how it feels with this Jags GM. And uh, it's unfortunate because you would think that a young quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, be able to coach him would be exciting to live in Florida where there's no state tax. Like there's so many appealing things about the Jaguars. You would it's think. It's just a losing culture though. Like that's the issue. But, you, but think about, I think as somebody who's always wanted to be a coach, that the idea of being able to go to a losing culture and turn it into winning culture and being a part of that, is uh, something that would be more satisfying than going to a place that already has a winning culture and taking it over. I think, 
I mean, I, I don't know. Like, you know, it, I'm sorry. Like, if I was Josh McDaniels, for example, who just got the Raiders job, and he was, I, I thought he was holding out to take over New England. Yeah. Um, if he had taken over New England and, and they just had continued success, whereas if he goes to Jacksonville, let's say, and he, he's the res- he became the Bill Belichick who made the Jaguars great, that's so much better than just taking over a job that was already well-managed and you're just kind of following suit. You know what I mean? Like that's, I mean, that's- to us, quote-unquote, pundits, yeah, maybe. But, I mean, if you're a coach, like, you just want job security. <laughs> like, as long as you can keep your job for a long time. Well, well, I mean, well, let's transition to this. Talk about pressure on doing well. The Cincinnati Bengals were 2-14 and 14 a couple of years ago. Had the number one overall pick and took Joe Burrow. Last year, they only won four games. He tore his ACL. And now they're in the Super Bowl. So these teams that are uh, struggling, fans are going to look at the Bengals and point to the Bengals as an example and be like, well, you can turn it around quick. Look what Cincinnati did. So basically what's going to happen is we're going to go to the Super Bowl next year. In two years. <laughs> a year two years yeah let's go you would think well, well no because it'd be because they drafted joe burrow and then he was in the super bowl his second year so if right. you guys so yeah so the jaguars would be in the super bowl next year yeah so let's see it i would love let's it, it. yeah we'd love it so <laughs> yeah drew you tweeted at the beginning of the afc championship game this... <laughs> oh my god we're gonna be airing out my tweets on this freaking show Jesus. yeah so so at the beginning of the AFC Championship game, now it, it looked like what we all thought was going to happen. It was at Arrowhead. Patrick Mahomes had just come off one of the greatest wins in the history of the NFL, uh, one of the greatest games to ever see. Uh, and they went up 21-3. to And you tweeted out, I hope I'm wrong here, but there was a reason the Bills-Chiefs game last week felt like the peak of the season. This already has the making of a boring bloodbath. Hashtag AFC Championship. That was when it was 21-3. to Now – the Bengals scored to make it 21 to 10, but then the chiefs got down all the way to the three yard line or the five yard line with five seconds ago, as opposed to kicking the field goal and going up 24 to 10, they tried to get into the end zone and failed. Leave, giving the Bengals all that momentum of just scoring and getting a big stop, keeping it only an 11 point game, which by the way was the same deficit they had a few weeks ago against Kansas city going into the halftime the first time. And the Bengals held the chiefs to three points in the second half and overtime, the Chiefs got the ball first in overtime. Now, for all of you who are complaining about the overtime rules and how it's unfair, the Chiefs, again, got the ball first. And surprise, surprise, your defense can actually go out and stop them. The Chiefs turned the ball over. The Bengals got in a field goal range. And the Cincinnati Bengals, for the first time since 1988, are in the Super Bowl. And after that happened, you tweeted, I was wrong. Hashtag who day, hashtag AFC championship game. Drew, any regrets? <laughs> no regrets at all. There's a reason I put that disclaimer at the beginning of my first tweet saying, I hope I'm wrong. I hoped I was wrong and I was wrong. So congratulations to the Cincinnati Bengals giving us trash organizations, a little bit of hope. The Cincinnati Bengals don't have an indoor practice facility and they're an NFL team. Like they, <laughs> they do not set up their players for success. They don't give them comfort of any kind during the NFL season because it's they cold don't as pamper shit in Cincinnati. Them. They don't pamper it, which is good, I, I guess. I mean, it hasn't worked for basically their entire existence up until this year. But despite all of those odds, despite the terrible offensive line, despite Joey Burrow tearing his ACL last year and having to make a miraculous comeback, they found a way to the, they found a way to do it. 
and it was a lot of fun to watch. It was great to see the Chiefs lose. I mean, nobody came into that game expecting the Chiefs to not win that game, especially after the absolute thriller that they won against the Buffalo Bills the week prior. So everybody loves an underdog story, and we got one. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I got to tell you, I was so amped up during that game because I saw Cincinnati starting to come back, and I was like, oh, my God, they could actually do it. The Cincinnati Bengals will actually be in the Super Bowl because over the last 18 years, the Super Bowl has either had in the AFC, like the Ravens, Ben Roethlisberger, a Peyton Manning team, or a Tom Brady team. That's it. That's all that's been in the Super Bowl for that. Or Patrick Mahomes last two years. So the AFC has not really had that much changeover. There hasn't been like a – a new blood to add to the team, to add to the, the mix. And I got to tell you, Bills fans, I said this last week, will never, ever be convinced otherwise that if they had won against the Chiefs, if they had hosted the AFC Championship, they would have beat Cincinnati. No problem. But I think Cincinnati might have beaten them too. I think the they, Bills could have overlooked them. They could have just as easily overlooked them as maybe Kansas City did. No, they absolutely could have. But it definitely seems like Cincinnati has something over the Chiefs in the second half of games. Like yeah. the fact that they were able to do that twice in the same season, like it just makes no sense. How that, how the hell did the chiefs find a way to falter in the second half against the Bengals defense? That's good, but they're not great. Well, the, I just, it, it's crazy. What the Bengals did that the bills failed to do is they were able to get to Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes was very good at escaping against the bills when it was looked like he was going to get sacked for losses and, and everything like that. But he kept escaping and kept scrambling. And he was able to do that a few times here, but he couldn't get away from the Bengals' defense. And the Bengals' defense was not allowing guys to get open. And yeah, I would say it seemed like the coverage downfield was a lot better by Cincinnati than it was by Buffalo. They made great adjustments in the second half. Um, and um, look, Joe Burrow looked fantastic. He, uh, he had one interception, but he threw for 250 yards, two touchdowns. And uh, Patrick Mahomes, just, he just looked off. Like, he kept getting sacked. But he also – there were th- some throws where he was missing. Like, just he, he, he was missing throws that Patrick Mahomes doesn't normally miss. They were making him un- uncomfortable in that second half, man. I mean, it was a completely different Patrick Mahomes. And just like any quarterback, like, if you generate that much pressure and you make them that nervous in the pocket, they're going to miss throws. They're going to make bad decisions. And they're not going to be able to get the ball out of their hands. So no. it's – it, I don't care how good of a quarterback you you are. Like I know throughout the history of Tom Brady, who we'll be talking about in a second, like everybody said, oh, the, the main strategy to beat Tom Brady is to generate pressure with your defensive line. It's like, no shit. That's the, that's the strategy against any quarterback. Yeah. Well, I, I love, I still love when Michael Stram was talking about how the morning of Super Bowl 42, O.C. Manura says to him, you know, Stray, if we don't get to Tom Brady today, we're not going to win this game. And Michael Stram's like, yeah, did you just read the paper? Like, I know that. And he goes, no, look at me. If we don't get him, we will not win this game. And it just clicked with Mike Strain, like, yeah, we got to get to Tom Brady. <laughs> you know? uh, but it's just, yeah, it's just such an obvious thing. You got a, a quarterback off his spot or make him uncomfortable. It's going to make things a lot easier for your defense to, to do it. And the Bengals got a key turnover um, that put them in a great position to, after they had scored to score quickly again, still keeping the momentum. And the Bengals players said once they got momentum – at the end of the first half, they just carried it in the second half, and boy, did they show it off. Um, the other comparison to the Bills is um, it wasn't – tails didn't fail uh, in this coin toss. <laughs> I think they called heads, <laughs> and it was also wrong. Like, it was, it was tails. And the Chiefs somehow lucked their way into getting a 50-50 coin right both times. <laughs> it, yeah, that, it, every Bills fan, even Josh Allen, just felt the pain. 
of watching the Chiefs win the coin toss again. That was amazing when Josh Allen just tweeted pain, period. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I feel for Bills fans. I really do. But like we said last week, you guys will be fine. But the way the overtime played out does not help the Bills cause for wanting the overtime rules to change. No. Because that's exactly that was exactly how the overtime like rules are d- better than what they were years ago, which is when you win the coin toss, all you have to do is get in field goal range and it's it's done. Whereas in this case, since the Chiefs couldn't score a touchdown, the Bengals got the ball back. So again, when you don't win the coin toss, it's not like the team gets the ball is automatically going to score. Now in that Bills Chiefs game, neither defense was looking like they were going to stop them, so that's how it was felt, and that's what did play out. Yeah, but that's not always the case. Game. I mean, look at look at the Steelers and the Lions. I think they each possessed the ball like four times in that overtime <laughs> they tied in this year. So it just depends on the situation of the game, and that's why I don't think the overtime rules are changing. And, hey, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to L.A. in a couple weeks to play in the Super Bowl. Joe Burrows won national championship at LSU. He is the number one overall pick to Cincinnati, and he is now leading them to a, uh, a Super Bowl. So um, congrats to Joe Burrow and Cincinnati. Um, and Is it, uh, isn't he up to be the first uh, player ever to win a national championship, a Heisman and a uh, uh, Super Bowl in his first three years or, or in a three year span? No, I, like I think he'd be the first player ever to win the Heisman, the national championship and an NFL Super Bowl. Right. The only but other he's the, he's the first quarterback to ever be the number one overall pick and get to the Super Bowl in his second year. Yes, I did see that as well. And he would join Joe Namath and Joe Montana as the only quarterbacks to ever win a national championship and a uh, Super Bowl as well. I don't think there's been any other quarterbacks other than them to do that. So a lot of the huge milestones for Joe Burrow coming into the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Joe Burrow, I think, is one of the quarterbacks that we really talked about seriously about being MVP this year. I think the three quarterbacks that come to mind um, were – uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and then Joe Burrow. So had a great run. I think bringing in Chase uh, off the draft, somebody he played with in college really helped him a lot. Yeah, that was um, huge. He had a great, great running game with Mixon. Like, the Bengals do not have a good offensive line. He was sacked, what, nine times against the Titans, and he got sacked a lot in this game against the Chiefs. Um, and he was under pressure a lot, but he was able to avoid the pressure and extend plays and just make things happen, which is why a Giants fan like me can, yes, yeah, say Daniel Jones – Hasn't looked great, but he also hasn't had a lot of blocking. Well, neither does Joe Burrow, and he's in the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> That's true. You can only make so many excuses. <laughs> so, the Bengals are in the Super Bowl, and they will be playing against the Los Angeles Rams, who you had predicted correctly. You said before the season the Rams would be the NFC representative. Now the Rams were down by 10 to a team they had lost the last six straight games to. And Kyle Shanahan is now responsible for the biggest comeback in the Super Bowl. He's the, he's the victim of the biggest comeback in the Super Bowl, the victim of the biggest fourth quarter blow in the Super Bowl, and now the biggest fourth quarter blow in the NFC Championship game. <laughs> His teams just can't seem to hold on to their leads. Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers were up 17-7 to in L.A. looking to go to the Super Bowl, and this, these, this L.A. Rams team is resilient. All right, so can you just say that one more time? Which one of us got any team right when they made their preseason predictions? In the Super Bowl. The only person on this podcast who got a Super Bowl prediction correct was, surprisingly, not me. It was you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you can bow at my feet, Money Mike. But, uh, no, I, I think there's – I mean, this is a pretty easy thing to point to, but I think there's a reason why these 
Kyle Shanahan 49ers teams have kind of faltered whenever they've gotten a lead. It's because the absolute, not the worst, but one of the worst starting quarterbacks you'll ever see when it comes to any sort of pressure being placed on them to win a game, to put it on their shoulders, to be successful in a high-pressure situation is Jimmy Garoppolo. I have never seen him play well when it all falls on his shoulders and he needs to make a play. Like, like I, I know every, all of his teammates came out in his defense and said, oh, this guy knows how to win. Yeah, he knows how to win when the rest of his team is playing really well and is kind of able to carry him. Like, like I, I don't know if we've ever seen like some any sort of crazy stats, awesome game from Jimmy Garoppolo, something that like makes you impressed. Uh, I, I thought he played really well in the last game of the regular season that got the 49ers into the playoffs against the Rams. Uh, he had a pretty good game that week. Um, but I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a product of what's around him. I mean, he had those few starts in New England that he never lost because it was the Patriots, and they were really good. You know, they, <laughs> he had really good coaching there. Um, and I don't think they were really playing that good of teams, too. Uh, and he goes to San Francisco, and they have a great defense, a uh, great running game. I mean, that NFC Championship game that he won against Green Bay a few years ago, I think he threw it like 10 times and they just ran it down Green Bay's throat. So that was not Jimmy Garoppolo winning an NFC championship game against Aaron Rodgers. And then this other game against Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't even throw a touchdown pass. They don't right. score an offensive touchdown exactly. <laughs> by a punt block, you know? And so, and then in the fourth quarter against Kansas city, he couldn't make the throws to clinch the game and Kansas city came back and won. So in an instance where your defense can't hold and they need your help, that that's why they lose these leads because Jimmy Garoppolo just isn't the guy to be able to halt the pressure, to change the momentum, to make a play. Like his last series in the NFC Championship game uh, against the Rams was terrible. Like he just didn't, he seemed so flustered, didn't seem to know where to put the ball. So I think that's why the 49ers, uh, I think that's what's really holding them back. And I think they're going to be addressing that this offseason. Yeah. And I, I got to say um, on this playoff run, Matthew Stafford has looked really good, but he's really, um, Cooper Cup is a phenomenal, phenomenal receiver. Having a phenomenal year, he had 14 targets, 11 receptions in this game. And somebody who has just played great on his playoff run is Odell Beckham Jr. Mm-hmm. He has just played phenomenal football for the Rams since he was brought over here. I think he just never wanted to be in Cleveland. And just there was just something off while he was there, and that's why he looked way worse than he was in New York. Um, but I think he really works well with a veteran quarterback. He worked well with Eli Manning for the first couple of years of his career. And now he's with Matthew Stafford, who's just so much better than Baker Mayfield. Um, and that's somebody who I, I wanted San Francisco to win this game because I didn't want to see, you know, we'd never seen a team at home in the Super Bowl until last year. I didn't want to see that again because um, I do think it gives you a clear advantage, especially since there's going to be a home crowd this time. Unlike last year where there was only a, a select amount of people that could go. Um, and I just, I, I just didn't want to see that. I felt like Matthews average 33. The Rams have a really good roster. They'll have another opportunity. I just didn't want them this year. Um, and I thought it'd be kind of cool to have a rematch from the 1980s of San Francisco versus Cincinnati, but I digress. Um, I'm happy for Matthew Stafford. He's one year free from Detroit, and he's won three playoff games, and he's in the Super Bowl. That's awesome. I, I really like Matthew Stafford. I, lo- I love how his wife um, reached out to fans of the Rams and uh, had them send in like videos of how long they've been fans and uh, or if they were first responders and she was sending them tickets, you know, so That's they could go to the awesome. NFC championship game. Like they're just, they, they, those two are just, they are awesome people. And that makes them so much easier to root for. Yeah. Uh, I like Von Miller. 
um, who was great in Denver, a Super Bowl MVP for the Broncos. And, uh, you know, give him a chance to win at the end of his career again because Denver yeah. wasn't winning. And he got to go to L.A. and, um, you know, and he's friends with Odell. He's friends with Jalen Ramsey. So it's good to see all these guys. Are you happy for Jalen Ramsey that he's in a winning culture now? Or are you kind of like, oh, screw you. <laughs> I love that he was getting into in the face of the 49ers kicker, Robbie Gold. Did you see that? Like, I did. I was like, what, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like he's getting angry at the kicker. I'm sure the kicker said something or, or did something well, to wrong him. Like, I'm sure it wasn't ki- out of nowhere. He's, he was kicking right over the Rams players, like in warmups or something. Yeah. Like, he, Robbie Gold will not be stopped from getting his kicks in before the game. Like he was in Dallas kicking while the Dallas cheerleaders were out doing their thing. Like they were doing their dance routine and he's in the middle of the, like they're lined up like this uh, straight across the way. And he's just kicking. Like, I'm like, what if he misses just slightly to the left or the right? He's going to kick one of these girls in the head. He's going to beam one of them. Yeah, beam one of them in the head. Like, what the hell is he doing? He did the same thing in Green Bay while Green Bay was warming up. So I think Jalen Ramsey took an issue with that. Like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's pretty nuts. But I am happy for Jalen Ramsey. Uh, he, he, that dude gets so much, like, people always say he's overrated, but he is damn good. Like, like I, I, like, no, is he the best corner ever? No, probably not. But he's. He's damn good, and I, I'm happy that he's finally able to make it to a Super Bowl. He got so close with the Jaguars. He had his famous soundbite. We go into Super Bowl, and we go win that bitch, you know? But now he actually has a chance to go win that bitch. Yeah. And uh, I'm happy for Matthew Stafford. Like you said, I, I agree. It's nice that he was able to leave Detroit, and then literally the first season he leaves, he goes to the Super Bowl. But I did see this uh, a narrative that some people were saying that if unless he wins – I mean, did he really do any better than Jared Goff did the year they went, made the Super Bowl? He has the same exact team, really. He has the same weapons. He has he has a stacked team. They, they're considered a super team if you look at the stars in this team. So it, it, it's it's amazing to see Matt Stafford in the Super Bowl, but I think he has to win it. He he, he definitely has more pressure on him to win it than Joe Burrow does um, because Joe Burrow's in his second year, and the, you know he's already got the team to the Super Bowl. He's a long career ahead of him, whereas Matthew Stafford had such a – you know, he was always talked about as that good quarterback, but he's in Detroit. He's not going to ever win. And people were questioning on this when they played the Cardinals. Like, can Matthew Stafford be that guy who plays big time in big time games? Because he's never played in big time games in his long career. You know, he's always finished playing in December. Um, and he played well against Arizona. He played really well against Tampa Bay. Um, and he played well against San Francisco in this fourth quarter to get them to the Super Bowl. Now, he has to – yes, the more pressure's on him because – he was brought here to get them over the hump. Jared Goff took them to the Super Bowl, but he couldn't win the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford was brought in to win the Super Bowl. So, yeah, the, the, and you're at home. So you have a really good roster around you. You have a great coach. You're in your home stadium. And you're playing against uh, a team that's hot, that's hot. But they're not like there's, you know, they were 10-7 and seven in the season, right? So it's not like they're up going up against Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady uh, or Josh Allen. Like, you're going up against – a good quarterback in Joe Burrow. Like, again, I'm not trying to shit on Cincinnati here. It's not, it's just, you're going to be the favorite. You're going to be the, the team that's favored here by a long shot. The Bengals are the clear underdog. You're at home. You, it, it, the, and there's the pressure of just like, yep, the Rams brought you here a year ago. Make it happen. Imagine how different the tune would be right now if that easy, gifted interception to the, that 49ers corner 
was actually caught and then the 49ers were able to score and win the game. Yeah. How different the tune on Matt Stafford would be right now. Sure. sure. And it's, sports are so nuts. One play can define a legacy. Both the Rams and the 49ers missed out on an opportunity to, to clinch yeah. the game. Um, and then, of course, the Rams converted on that pathetic throw by, by Jimmy Garoppolo, who escaped trouble, was trying to escape trouble, and instead of taking the sack, he just, like, whiffed it, and it got picked off by the Rams. And I'm like, well, that ended Jimmy Garoppolo's career in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and the one that he threw right before that was basically just a dart straight at Jalen Ramsey. There was no receiver in sight. I was like, who the hell is he throwing to? At least Matt Stafford ball, Stafford's ball did have a target. It was just underthrown. Yeah. And that corner on the 49ers is going to be kicking himself for the rest of his life for not yeah. catching that ball. And it sucks. I mean, that that's sports, but it sucks. Yeah. But Drew, this is the first Super Bowl in 18 years. In 18 years, the Super Bowl does not have Tom Brady playing in it. Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, or the San Francisco 49ers. One of the last 18 Super Bowls has had one of those four entities participating. So it's the Cincinnati Bengals against the LA Rams. We're not doing our predictions this week, but Drew, is, are you rooting for Cincinnati or are you rooting for LA? I don't know. I don't really have a, a hard and fast rooting interest for this game. I'm, I honestly keep going back and forth. As we talk about both teams, I'm like, oh, it would be cool to see Cincinnati win. And then you're like, oh, it'd be cool to see the Rams win. <laughs> I would be happy for either of them. Yeah. I'd be happy for Matthew Stafford because the narrative of him is going to dramatically change if he wins the Super Bowl because he'll go from being that really good quarterback with really good stats, like a Phillip Rivers type, who doesn't have any Super Bowls, to being Super Bowl winning quarterback Matthew Stafford. Do you now think he'd like, be a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame? Shoe-in for the Hall of Fame if he wins the Super Bowl. Uh, I will say the best interest I have in the Super Bowl is my Super Bowl squares. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully at any point in the game, the uh, Rams have a score that ends in an eight. And uh, at the same time, the Bengals have a score that ends in a seven. Or uh, the Rams score ends in a three and the Bengals score ends in an eight. Or uh, Eight the, is a tough uh, one this, to have. This, this, this is the best square I have, I think, right here. If the NFC score is zero, ends in a zero, and the AFC score ends in a six. So I'm okay. really hoping the Bengals score first and miss the extra point. <laughs> That's what I'm really hoping because it's $50 a minute on this board. Dude, so, Evan McPherson, I don't think he's miss, missing an extra point. I mean, hopefully I'm jinxing it and I'm well, throwing maybe it's it to blocked. Maybe. Oh, that's true. It, it could blocked. happen. Or they go for two-point conversion because of some penalty and they fail. Like the analytics, go for two, and they, they fuck it up. <laughs> money Mike, always hoping for some money. That's uh, He's living up to his name, huh? That's right. Cash <laughs> is king. Cash is king, my friend. But you know who was the king of the NFL? Mr. Tom Brady. Money Mike, <laughs> you, you can go first. I, I know you're just going to just blurt out all of your love for this man's mind. You just get it over with. The man who led the league this year in passing yards, passing touchdowns, completions, and big pass plays is walking away from the game, potentially winning the MVP and walking out the door. He is a seven-time Super Bowl champion. He has been to 10 Super Bowls. He was the pick number 199, and he is retiring from the NFL. It was reported on Saturday that Tom Brady was retiring, but his camp, his parents, friends of his, the Buccaneers were saying, no, that's not true. We haven't heard that. So I think that somebody in Tom Brady's inner circle leaked this before he wanted it out there. I think maybe he was waiting until the end of the season 
Um, but he put his announcement up this morning on Instagram that he is officially retiring from the NFL. Uh, basically, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he basically said, you know, look, I committed 100% of myself to this game for 22 years. Um, I love all the relationships I've made with both the Patriots and the Buccaneers. Um, oh, no, can... he doesn't mention the Patriots. Oh, well, I don't no, think right. he mentions the Patriots at all throughout the entire thing. No, I, I well, because I think he said his farewell to New England when he left. Um, yeah. But he uh, he said that he, uh, he since he can't give 100% of himself to this anymore, that he's going to walk away. I think this is the perfect time for Tom Brady to walk away as much as I know he has some – he could still play at a high level. Um, it's better for him to go out now after he won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. So he proved he could win without Bill Belichick. And he still – he walked away playing great. And he always said he never wanted to be playing to a point where he was weighing down the team. They want to be Big Ben. Yeah. Like, he's not – I think his, his, his retirement's a little more graceful than Big Ben's. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that uh, – or even – I mean, Peyton Manning went out with a Super Bowl, but Peyton Manning looked terrible his last year in the NFL. So Tom Brady's walking away still healthy, and uh, he's going to uh, do his new business endeavors and spend more time with his family. He had nothing left to prove in the NFL. Everyone knows he's the greatest quarterback of all time. So, uh, <laughs> bye, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I know it was so easy for you to enjoy Tom Brady for what he was because, obviously, your team beat him twice in the Super Bowl and never lost. Do you think if Tom Brady won both, both of those games, would you have liked him as much? I think I would have resented them. Uh, I think I would have resented him in New England a lot, just like everybody else, probably. I mean, I appreciate his work ethic and his greatness, and um, I, I think he's a, a good guy. So I think it's – I still would like the guy, but I'd still remember it's like, oh, stupid, you took two championships away, you fucking asshole. You know, I, that would probably be part of it. But I, there were three particular responses to Tom Brady retiring that I absolutely loved. One of them was Jalen Ramsey, who said, I'll never forget the last touchdown pass Tom Brady threw because it was on me. <laughs> yeah that's right the one to mike evans that's right i forgot about that and then when he put his uh thing on instagram uh the new york jets instagram page goes this better be real <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh it's all very fitting you know and then, Tom... and then, yeah, and then check <laughs> posted nah get off your butt and play one more year <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't think a lot of fan bases want to see that happen but uh, Tom Brady was a guy that obviously a lot of people hated for many years because he was so damn good. Um, obviously, there were the scandals that came along with him when it came to Deflategate and Spygate and stuff like that. Spygate I, was not him. Like, obviously, that was more so the coaching staff. And then Deflategate, I think, was just complete bullshit. And uh, I, I know some people still say, oh, he's a cheater and stuff like that. I, I don't think he I had anything like to do with Super Bowl that since then. So it's like, what, you know, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> I think it was just more so the media was trying to make something up just to like, like you said, in a past episode, they built him up for all those years and they wanted to tear him down. And uh, he, he stuck through it all, stuck through all the bullshit and still remained the best quarterback of all time. And he probably viewed that. And it seems like it through his biography he probably viewed all that stuff as motivation and he kept it in his mind to say, fuck you to all the haters. And, uh, he, he sure did, uh, a lot of haters in Buffalo, a lot of haters in, uh, New Jersey, uh, just a lot of haters all around the country. I was a hater for a while because of what happened in 2017. It's just when you lose to the same guy 
for years and years and years, it doesn't get any easier. So yeah. Well, I saw a lot of people when the Bucks lost, people were like, oh, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl this year because they were just sick and tired of seeing Tom Brady in the Super Bowl <laughs> again and again and again and again. Uh, so, yeah, I, I look back at um, somebody who, you know, had to struggle to get a starting job at Michigan, and then he was picked number 199. Six other quarterbacks were taken ahead of him, um, one of whom was actually interviewed for the Bills offensive coordinator position, didn't get it. T. Martin was one of the Brady six. Um and uh, then, you know, he got an opportunity when Drew Bledsoe went down. Uh, the Patriots won those first few Super Bowls, not really because of Tom necessarily. He was kind of a good game-managing quarterback who um, had a great defense behind him, had a great coach in Bill Belichick. So a lot of the players uh, in, in the tape will show you, Tom Brady wasn't, like, magnificent by any means. He just was clutching some moments in those games. Tom Brady was really, like, great quarterback Tom Brady winning Super Bowls on his second stint with New England. Uh, I say second stint. He was with New England the whole time. What I mean is that second stint of Super Bowl wins uh, later in his career where it was really more of an offensive reasoning for why they were winning those Super Bowls against Seattle and um, against uh, um, Atlanta and that comeback, one of the greatest games I've ever seen in that comeback of 28-3. Well, what's crazy is he didn't win a Super Bowl during the period where, in my opinion, he was playing at his best throughout his career. Yeah. I mean, he, he says to this day that the, he would trade two Super Bowl rings to win that season where he had his best year ever in 2007, where they lost to the Giants because he set the record for touchdown passes that year. Um, they were the number one offense at that point of all time. Um, and they go to the Super Bowl and only score 14 points. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he laughed it off when, he, when yeah. someone said that they thought he was only going to score 14 points. 17. It was, seven, it was 23 17, 17 right. was the prediction. He goes, We're only going to score 17 points. <laughs> Okay, is Plex playing defense? (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Oh, money, Mike. Always living in the past. Well, I I, I texted you. So during the Packers game uh, in the 49ers, uh, they mentioned how Kyle Shannon looked at how the Giants weren't intimidated by the cold and won that cold NFC championship game in Lambeau. So we have to be like the Giants. And I'm like, ha, they're still relevant. They're still talking about them. (laughs) And then Troy Aikman mentioned Eli Manning in the NFC championship game about getting beat up in the game and still being able to get up from these hard hits. And I'm like, ha. Still relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody's talking about the Jaguars. So, yeah, good for you, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm sad to see a, a legend go. I mean, now all the really good quarterbacks that we grew up with, you know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, uh, Drew Brees, they're all retired. That's true. Is, now uh, the next generation. Is Aaron Rodgers the oldest one left now? Yeah, but he wasn't in the league when we first started watching football. I mean, the yeah, quarterback no. of the Packers at the time was Brett Favre. That's so, true. Yeah, I mean, it, this just it, – it, it was um, it was definitely the end of an era. Uh, I, I, a lot of people our age uh, and younger don't know football without Tom Brady. So <laughs> this would be quite new. And now the Buccaneers have to find a new quarterback. Um, so they're entering that stage with a lot of other teams who are in the search for the quarterback. The quarterback market this year is wide open, but there aren't a lot of really – good replacement players jimmy garoppolo future tampa bay buccaneer he could be a future tampa bay buccaneer pittsburgh Steeler. um he could go to the giants according to some reports you know i i hope that what if aaron Rodgers went down there that'd be crazy (laughs) bucks fans would be so spoiled (laughs) oh yeah that yeah but what number would he wear he couldn't wear 12 that's true. No, nah, he's not going to Tampa Bay. The people are speculating the only place he's going is Denver if he goes anywhere, right? Uh, or Pittsburgh. All right. 
Yeah, Pittsburgh. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of just openings. It, this offseason is going to be interesting to see who the hell is going to fill in. Like, because obviously the, there's uh, there's a lot of parity in the NFL every single year. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the greatest things about this playoffs being so exciting and uh, why the NFL is so far ahead of the NBA and Major League Baseball and the NHL in terms of fans is because of these exciting games we've seen, the parity we saw this year. I mean, so many really good teams lost to bad teams this year. Um, so, you know, it's just you never know. It's any given Sunday. And who would have thought the Bengals would have gone to Arrowhead and beaten the Chiefs? Would have know, thought. Even though they had already beaten them earlier in the season. It's crazy. But, yeah, I mean – You've got, let's see, I'm going to count on here. You have one, two, three, like three or four teams in the AFC that are looking for a quarterback. Then you've got in the NFC, you've got the Eagles. I'm going to count in that category. I'm going to count the Giants too. So that could be getting a new quarterback or looking at least to assign somebody else on their roster. You have the Eagles, the Washington football team, the Giants, the um, Chicago Bears in Detroit could also be looking to, change their quarterback i mean i think that the bears are going to stick with uh fields but maybe they'll move andy dalton and get somebody else behind fields uh carolina needs a new quarterback the saints are going to be looking at quarterback options now the bucks um are the falcons going to try to move on from matt ryan and the 49ers are going to move on to uh to trey lance and if seattle loses russell wilson seattle could be in that so a lot of quarterback openings supposedly or a lot of places to where there at least be quarterback competition talks God, I love the NFL. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a it's always a great time. There's a reason why we do this podcast is, is purely for the NFL. But I would be remiss to not uh, talk about the fact that Syracuse is terrible. Like, have we seen a worse Syracuse basketball team since we've started watching basketball? I don't think we have. I think this is literally the worst. Jim Beheim has never had a losing record in his entire time uh, at Syracuse, so this would be the very first time that he does. And I got to tell you, what's funny is. I knew they were playing the other night, and I was like, eh, they're playing <laughs> Wake Forest. I'm not going to bother watching them get killed. And they didn't play a good first half, but they just couldn't miss in the second half. And my brother, who doesn't even like sports, is watching Syracuse basketball. I was like, hey, you watching? And I'm like, no. You are? <laughs> He's like, yeah, they're actually winning. And I'm like, oh. Well, the game before that, they lost to freaking Pittsburgh, who I know they, they've been getting better. But like Pittsburgh was like down in the dumps for a while, and I, I just, I just don't understand how Syracuse has gotten to this point. And then Jimmy B, uh, Jim Beheim is going to retire. Jerry McNamara is going to probably take over. Who knows what the hell is going to happen going forward? It's going to be it, very up in the air going forward as a Syracuse basketball fan. Yeah, I I, I wish they were better because obviously Syracuse has always been one of those teams in basketball that like people are expecting to be good. Like, you, you see know, that Giannis said he would have gone to Syracuse if he went to college? Oh, I saw him that he was at the game, but I didn't hear that. Oh, that, that Could you imagine? <laughs> I can't imagine. I can imagine quite a bit. He would have dominated the zone. I also heard that like LeBron James had considered Syracuse, too. Like He probably would have gone to Ohio State, but I guess there were rumors that he was interested in playing with Carmelo. Mm. Imagine if – I mean, we won the national championship anyway, so it's not like, you know <laughs> – like, Oh, man, what, what if that had happened? We would have won by even more. I don't know. <laughs> it would have been overkill. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, you know, in college football, if you're a fan of Oklahoma or if you're a fan of Alabama or if you're a fan of LSU, um, if you're a fan of Georgia, 
you're going into the season expecting at least if your team doesn't win the championship, they're going to be competitive. And that's how Syracuse fans have always felt in basketball. It's like our football team sucks ass, but our basketball <laughs> team is always in the mix, always in the conversation. They're always a team that's going to be in the tournament and doing well in the tournament, at least bare minimum making Sweet 16, if not Elite Eight and Final Four. Right. So the fact that we're watching this team this year is like, God, God damn it. Do you think that, <laughs> do you think whoever's the new coach is going to stick with the zone? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so. And again, there's nothing wrong with the two, three zone. It's just for me personally, I I'm not a professional basketball coach, but I feel like you have to change up your defense somewhat throughout the game to keep things, you know, keep them on their toes. Yeah. Everyone knows that Syracuse runs two, three zone. Now when they, the reason they have an advantage in the tournament sometimes is because teams that aren't playing against the two, three zone don't know what to do. Whereas these ACC teams and when they were in the big East can play well against them. And that is because they've seen it. They, they've, practiced it I mean, if you go on youtube and you type in how to beat a two three zone it's north carolina and duke breaking up or in louisville breaking up syracuse's zone it's always syracuse is the example of how to beat a two three zone well because if you could beat up the best then you know what you're doing yeah so i yeah it's hasn't been that fun to watch unfortunately i i wish that they didn't have to live and die by the three i wish they were a more athletic team I wish they would mix it up a little bit more defensively. And I wish they had more of a roster in terms of like depth, but Jim Beheim classically only plays like six, seven guys. Right. So it is what it is. But I'll tell you, seeing a team like Kentucky beat the shit out of Kansas, like Syracuse would lose by 40 to a team like Kansas <laughs> and probably by 50 to a team like Kentucky. <laughs> like they're just yeah. not on the same level, these teams. That's disappointing. Yeah, it's disappointing. We won't be seeing uh, Syracuse play. In March Madness, but uh, the more disappointing tournament that we won't see a team that we would root for play in is it doesn't look like the chances are good for the United States men's soccer team to be successful going forward. Did you see that they lost to Canada? Freaking no, Canada. But I'm not su- no, I'm not surprised. <laughs> All I know about the men's men's soccer team is they collect more money than the women's team and they suck. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. That's all I really uh, know about men's soccer. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge talking point. But no, obviously, it's it's very disappointing because you want the U.S. to be good at everything, but it just seems like men's soccer just is never going to be that thing. Oh, so they're like the Phoenix soccer team. Yes, that basically <laughs> they're the Phoenix soccer team of the international soccer scene. So yeah, uh, good for us. Um, Anything else you wanted to cover, Mike? Well, USA will always be triumphant in basketball, men's basketball. So we've got that going for us. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I was talking about the um, sadness of Tom Brady retiring because it's it's not just like losing a legend like Tom Brady. And, you know, we're always going to be able to tell our kids and if we're lucky enough, grandkids someday to be like, oh, we watched the greatest quarterback ever. And there's going to be some quarterback playing at that time. They're like, no, dad, he's he's better than Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that what they're gonna sound like jesus uh, probably if they're my kids they'll have that nasally mickey mouse voice like i have um <laughs> but it, it's just like for me growing up with like nba stars like it was kevin garnett kobe bryant tim duncan tracy mcgrady um all these guys retired and it was like sad i was like oh man all these living legends that as a kid you looked up to and and you were out in your driveway thinking, okay, Kobe or, or Dirk, you know, this. And uh, people who went out in the backyard and were throwing the football around be like, I'm going to be the next Tom Brady. I'm going to be the next Peyton Manning. Like, these guys are gone. Yeah. And, but 
but it's sad, but at the same time, it's what's exciting is these this new blood of quarterbacks are the so exciting to watch. Very good hands. And it, it just proves that no matter what happens, the league will live on. There's going to be some other people that come along that are going to be really good players and fun to watch. And you, we've got Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. Uh, Matthew Stafford is only 33, so he'll still be around for a little while longer. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Trevor Lawrence. Daniel Jones. <laughs> Mike Glennon. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's the line. line. <laughs> no, there's still the immortal Blaine Gabbert. Yes. Hey, is he going to win the starting job in uh, Tampa Bay? I mean, he, he who learned better from the GOAT than the guy who's right behind him? I can't believe that dude's still in the NFL. Oh, my God. Yeah, so is Nick Foles. <laughs> talk, more, talk more about the Jaguars' failures. Two quarterbacks right there, Nick Foles and Blaine Gabbert. Uh, and Mike Glennon. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the list goes on and on. Byron Lefwich. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. Well, before we go down that rabbit hole, Money Mike, is there anything you want to say to our listeners before we let them go? Well, we are now officially a podcast that has hundreds of listeners. <laughs> so I want to say thank you for listening. I hope we can continue to add to that um, add to that listenership, I think, or viewership, listenership, I think. Is the, yeah, we're totally going to add to that viewership <laughs> with that wordsmith that you just put together. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, no, it's, it, it, what an exciting NFL season. I'm glad that, you know, this is the third year we've done this podcast. It's been a lot of fun. And hopefully one of these days, the Giants and the Jaguars will be relevant, relevant enough to where when we talk about it, it actually makes sense. And I people say, don't roll their eyes. I will say, hey, this week we had Giants news and Jaguar news. So it's not like it was completely irrelevant. Uh, <laughs> so. Still pretty irrelevant. Well, well, matter of perspective. <laughs> I'm just happy to do this show. I'm glad that we're uh, still going to do it. And we'll be back next week to predict who's going to win the Super Bowl. I look forward to it. I'm sure our listeners look forward to it as well. I am Drew Torres. He is Money Mike Gilchrist. I hope you guys enjoy the first weekend without NFL football in a very long time. Go outside. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Do something with your life. You know what I'm doing? When I was talking to my dad during a commercial break, he brought up that he's never seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And I'm like, how the hell is that possible? Kevin and I rewatched that whole trilogy hundreds of times as kids. And I've watched it hundreds of times as an adult. How have you never seen Last Crusade, Dad? And he's like, well, I've seen some scenes, but I've never watched it in full because I really – I liked Raiders, but I didn't like Temple of Doom, and I just stopped. I didn't want to watch anymore. And I'm like, well, with no football next week, we're watching Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So that's what I'm doing on Sunday with my dad. So he's going to finally see that awesome film, which you still have to see also. Well, I hope our listeners have a better weekend than Money Mike is talking about right now. Aww. Watching a shitty movie. Oh, man. That sounds like a terrible use of a Sunday. You know, uh, calling Indiana Jones Last Crusade a shitty movie, you just made so many people unsubscribe to this podcast. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm terrible when it comes to all those classic movies. But uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to another damn sports podcast. As I said before, I am Drew Torres. He is Money Mike Gilchrist. And take care.